The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. From a Hindu background, Monica Guyon was drawn to the Lord through Pastor John Piper's sermon series at Bethlehem Baptist Church on Romans and hearing the gospel from her now husband, Chad. Over the last 19 years, God has cultivated in Monica a heart for encouraging missional living. Chad and Monica have been married for 14 years, and Monica is a lawyer-turned-homeschooling mother to six children, ages 10 down to 11 months. Before becoming a mother, Monica attended the University of St. Thomas School of Law, clerked for the Minnesota Supreme Court, and then practiced at a law firm in Minneapolis. Each place presented unique opportunities to share and live out the gospel. After her transition to being a stay-at-home mom, Monica discipled law students through InterVarsity and began to teach the Bible to her children and women at Bethlehem. She serves as a small group leader alongside her husband, Chad, who also serves as an elder. She currently writes for Desiring God, continues to love to teach God's word, counsels couples alongside Chad, and speaks on various topics, including missional living, marriage, and motherhood. Monica loves reading or Monica loves read-alouds with her family, embarking on new adventures, playing outside, and dreaming up fresh plans with the Lord, Chad, and her children about how to live as a family on mission. Most recently, the Gynes have joined Bethlehem's Nurture Program as they seek the Lord's will for their family in the world of cross-cultural missions. Thanks for being, thanks for being here, Monica. Good morning, everybody. It is so, so good to be with all of you this morning. I was commenting at the table I've been sitting at. It's so sweet to look around and have glanced and noticed. I think I know most of you, at least by name, and most of you a little bit more than that. And there are a few unfamiliar faces. And I would love to get to meet any of you who I've not gotten to connect with um, at being at Bethlehem. But I love that about our church, that even if we're not necessarily walking in the same context together or same small group, that there's this love and affection that we can have for one another when we just recognize each other's faces or know each other's names or how many children you might have or how long you've been at Bethlehem. So um, I would love to pray and then dig in on rhythms of family discipleship with you all. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for all of the women here, all of the children represented here, those that I'm getting to see and lock eyes on, and those that are maybe in the nursery or at homes or other places being cared for by others. Um, we are here because we love you and we want your love to be made known in the hearts of our children. So the children represented here and at this church who don't yet know you were just asking that their names are also written in your book of life and that you would breathe life into their hearts. And I pray for all of the moms in this room and at this church, including me, that you would remind me that salvation belongs to you. It's not our work, but we get to labor under your perfect sovereign authority. And what a joy it is when we get to do that labor from a posture of rest, knowing you have our children and you have us. So I pray, Jesus, that you would just fill all of us with your Holy Spirit now. Help us to discern what is maybe one thing or two things that you are asking of us as part of trusting you, finding our rest in you, that you would love for us to do in our families right now. Um, I pray that no word spoken um, this morning is not from you, that you would um, stop my mouth from moving if I'm about to say something that's not from you, and that you would just um, direct me to your word and direct all the women now to your word, that we would test everything and know your will for us and for our families. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So we are talking about rhythms of family discipleship this morning. Before we get into the nitty gritty, I would love, unless you need to have your eyes open um, on 
your baby or another baby you might be holding, I would love for everyone to just close their eyes here for a couple of minutes. We're going to get a picture. We're going to invite the Lord to give us a picture of what exactly it is that we are doing here in the context of motherhood. So here's what I'd like you to picture. You and I are on a rescue mission outside the gates of hell. What do you picture? What do you see? You're standing outside these gates. Your mouth is moving. Your hands might be moving. Your legs might be moving. And you see the faces of each and every single one of your children. And they see you. And your heart is so, so burdened because you're pleading and you see and you know the way out. You see it because you've already walked it and you are currently walking it. You are on the road out and the road home and you really want your kids to see the path out. The gates are open and you are really, really scared and wondering when, how, in what way will they continue? And then you turn and you lock eyes on the one who's in charge, your commander. He's striding in. He sees you. He's got his eyes on you, and you've got your eyes on him. And he's mouthing these words. You can't necessarily hear all of them. But as his mouth is moving quietly, your hands are moving. Your feet are moving. Your mind is filled. Your heart is filled. You're doing things as part of this rescue mission that you couldn't even fathom you were able to do. And it's because you've got this commander who is moving every part of your body, who's opening your mouth and who's closing it and who has filled your heart with all of his promises. And he's saying, I've got you. And maybe the way you picture it, you're riding on his shoulders. Maybe he's giving you a piggyback ride. Whatever way you see it that your commander's got you, he is doing this work, and all he's asking you to do is trust him. This is the rescue mission. This is the rescue mission, and he is inviting you and me to join in it, not to take it upon our shoulders, but to ask him for help knowing that he's faithful to provide it. You can open your eyes now. <laughs> So the, the key takeaway here from this idea of what motherhood is and what we're trying to do for our children is to first and foremost know that Jesus is our rest, he's our rescuer, and he's our redeemer. And he's that for all of our kids, too. And sometimes we have this idea, I'm speaking for myself, too, of motherhood, that it's this endless toil that we need to turn back and look and measure, how am I doing? How are my kids doing? And how do I make a wise assessment of what do, I, what do I need to tweak? What do I keep? And there are lots of really good questions rooted in this posture of wanting to know that we're really doing okay. But the biggest takeaway that I would love for myself regularly as I'm rehearsing the gospel and sharing that with all of you is that Jesus is doing the work and he's inviting you to join. He's inviting you to ask, what would you like me to do today and help me to be faithful in doing that, what you've asked of me. I don't need to turn and I don't need to measure what I'm doing. I don't need to measure with my finite mind or my eyes of what is the success of this particular family rhythm that we have in our context. We're just keeping our eyes on Christ, 
keeping our eyes on the prize and asking him to be the heartbeat of our rhythm, which really starts first with our heart posture. Where are we? Who are we tethered to? And what is our belief about this work? Um, we're going to spend just a couple of minutes here before we dive into these frameworks or how we can think of rhythms of family discipleship to journal or write down on the uh, piece of paper that you have answers to a few questions. I found before Chad and I have discussions or we're praying about what's going well in our family, what's not going well, um, and then trying to address particular things with each of our kids, often we need to know where exactly is my heart as I'm thinking about this rhythm or thinking about this particular child before we are even digging into having these conversations. And so before we actually talk about some ideas of what are rhythms of family discipleship, how do we disciple our children wisely, it's helpful to calibrate our hearts how we're entering into this dialogue right now. So the first question is, and I'll just give you about a minute after we go through each of the questions. The first question is, what are three words you would use to describe your family culture? What are three words you would use to describe your family culture? If your time answering these questions bleeds into the next, that's okay. Um, the second question, what's a family rhythm that you really love right now? And then the final question, what's a family rhythm you would like to see grow in your family? As you quietly process some of the answers with the Lord, as we continue, uh, the reason it is helpful to, to address at the forefront is writing down your answer, even as you're just quietly processing, if you, if you didn't write your answer down. Um, the Lord often uses our honesty before him. You know, I'm coming to the throne. You're my confidence, and I'm spilling before you what I'm really seeing you do and what I would love to see you do. He just meets that kind of humility and honesty with so much grace that surprise us. And so one of the reasons that I like the question specifically, what's something that you love, is this reality that I know from my experience as a mother and having time with other moms, we're so hard on ourselves. It is often a lot easier to identify 20 things we would love to see change, transform, get fixed in our families, and be so unaware of what the Lord has done in all of the seasons he's walked you through as a mother. So my encouragement as we continue on for you this morning is really keep your eyes back to that. What is it? What's one thing you really love that your family is doing? Because it is really, really easy to forget that, especially if we approach the idea of family rhythms with a spirit of discouragement. Like, I'm, I, I feel like it's chaos and what rhythms? What are you talking about, Monica? We don't have any rhythms. And my encouragement to you would say, you actually probably have a lot more rhythms than you even know. And before we really zero in on this reality of our heart posture towards rhythms, um, one of my favorite takeaways from Pastor John as he's described the Christian life, I think he attributed a, a percentage, like 90% of the Christian life is unintentional. There's this reality, as you are faithfully walking with Jesus, so much of your discipleship is just happening. We're not really going to talk as much about that um, this morning. I did share about that at Moms a few years ago. It was called Rediscovering Discipleship in the Day-to-Day. -day. This idea being you have the Holy Spirit and you have the mind of Christ. So much discipleship is happening in these moments that are transpiring all throughout the day that you wouldn't say, this is discipleship, this is discipleship, this is discipleship. But it's happening spontaneously through the power of the Holy Spirit. So keep that tucked away too 
as we're thinking of discrete rhythms to know so much happens, so much flows from a heart that is loving Jesus. So now as we move on to this first category of heart posture for our rhythms, before we really talk about what these rhythms are, it's really important, as I alluded to at the beginning, to think about rest, a posture of rest as you approach them. Rhythms are not meant to be, I have these four to-do list items now added to my already really full mothering plate. It's meant to, A, help you identify what's already happening and maybe think, okay, I have these structures, I have these rhythms, and it can help me to know how the Lord is asking me to invest in these particular ways in my family. Um, here's an example. A healthy heart. So that's our, that's our first heart posture that we're talking about. A healthy heart. Your greatest rhythm of family discipleship that you should maintain is your own walk with Jesus. And that's part of what I had alluded to with this reality of being filled with the Holy Spirit, having the mind of Christ. That's going to direct so much of what you're already doing. And as you are centering your heart on the king and the promises that God has laid out in his word, that's going to give you a framework already of how to even wisely engage in these rhythms. Um, one of my favorite ways to process this reality is when Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So eyes fixed on Jesus, knowing the greatest thing that you can do is having a healthy walk with Jesus really frees you from thinking, I need to do these 10 things today with my husband, with my kids, to call it a successful discipling day. When the reality that we know from scripture is success, even in the context of family discipleship, is entrusting to others what we are knowing is valuable. Paul says that to Timothy and helps us understand success is not seeing these particular results flow from our labor, but it's actually entrusting the gospel, presenting it, laying it out before our families, and then allowing the Lord and inviting the Lord to use it as he will. Now we are talking here about a healthy understanding of our role. So we know healthy heart, oh, I'm sorry, Let's, let's backtrack a little bit. Healthy understanding of the mission. So we're teaching, we're training, trusting the results to the king. So you're speaking, you're moving, you're trusting the results to the king. And uh, now transitioning here into a healthy understanding of our role. There are kind of two ways that are important to consider what your role is in relation to the mission. One is as a wife. So the tricky thing about having a conversation about rhythms of family discipleship in a group of moms is we're missing a really big category of people here, right? That's our husbands. So they are the head of the household. They are ultimately charged with having a vision for our families and then executing that vision through themselves, through their wives, doing that wisely. So how do we have a wise conversation about family discipleship with moms when our husbands are gone? So big encouragement here would be um, make sure you are having time with your husband to cast a vision and have conversations about how to actually enact that vision throughout the day and then praying together. So this could maybe happen organically for your family. Maybe if your husband's gone, say eight to four, eight to five, 
comes home after you're having family time together and your kids are in bed, you're having an hour or two once a week or once every other week where you're sitting down and intentionally talking about shepherding, shepherding roles, how are things going with the kids, how are devos going, what's your vision, how would you like me to do this? Um, this could really be a whole separate talk, right, on what biblical submission in the context of shepherding looks like. Because the tricky thing is, for most of us, the moms are the ones who are physically present at home with our kids, right? And our husbands are working hard, providing for their families, for our families. And so we're kind of sitting in this tension where they're in charge of the vision, we're under their authority and trying to figure out how do we do this when they're not here. So biggest goal, biggest encouragement is to err on the side of over-communicating in a really deferential way that you can approach this with your husband is be really good at asking questions. So one way I wouldn't do this is say, hey babe, we really need to sit down and have this conversation. Child X is doing this, child B is, or child Y is doing this, and we need to do this for devos, and we probably should really memorize this, and wow, have you heard that child pray? We really need to sit down and figure out how we're gonna model prayer, and how we're gonna model confession. That could be a really defeating way to engage in this conversation with your husband, for him and for you. A way that would be really helpful to invite the Lord to work in your heart as helper and his heart as leader is to ask really good questions. Hey honey, what would you like me to do about this? Have you thought about doing this for devos? I see, I'm watching our kids and I'm seeing that maybe this would be really helpful or I observed this in these two children this afternoon and I wonder, could we maybe spend a few minutes talking about repentance and what that looks like. So turning maybe how you would storm into a conversation with your husband into asking really good questions and equipping him to do his hard job of leading, especially when he's physically absent from the home and you're the one there. For however hard we think our job is, I personally think, think our husbands have it harder. They see less, they know less, apart of, as far as how our families are doing, apart from what we are reporting to them. And yet they're charged with having a vision, leading their families, and then executing this vision. One other uh, component to process here is to maybe in a conversation with your husband, get a feel for what your personalities are. You probably know that already. But if you haven't gotten a gauge for if your husband's kind of more inclined to being a visionary or really good at day-to-day -day details, maybe a bit of both, knowing that about your husband and knowing that about yourself is going to help set a framework for healthy, ongoing, regular conversations about family rhythms. I'll tell you how that fleshes out in the Guyan family. Um, I tend more towards being the visionary Chad's phenomenal at day-to-day, -day. so he can take whatever is floating in here and here for me and say, here's what we need to do this week, here's what we need to do in the month, and don't even worry about these things for five years because everything is flowing right here, and I'm thinking we need to do everything right away. And maybe it's flipped in your marriage. Maybe you're really awesome at the day-to-day, nitty-gritty details, and your husband's the visionary. Either way, your husband's still responsible for formulating the vision. For me, as a visionary, how I bring this to Chad is, I say, hey, I've been processing this in scripture. Um, what do you think about this? He's really helped and feels honored by me bringing these visions and ideas before him with me entrusting them to him, knowing he's still ultimately going to decide, yes, let's do that, no, let's hold off on that, versus me suppressing my gifts as a visionary because I'm saying, well, you're in charge of the vision, so you take care of it, you figure it out. 
So having conversations about how we interact wisely in a way we're honoring our husbands, inviting them to lead, being wise as helpers um, to shape what these visions are and then execute them. And then a healthy understanding of our role as mothers. Uh, one of my favorite verses related to this idea is from Proverbs 13, 14. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. So wisdom needs to be offered, but its reception may take time. Oh, fountain, what is it, what is it doing? It's always flowing. Living water is flowing, and it's pouring out. You don't know necessarily who's dipping their toes or their hands or their whole bodies, whether they're drinking it. You can't measure that. But the fountain is flowing because it's tethered to the water source. So that's us as moms. We're the fountain, and we're flowing because we're tethered to the king. And then rhythms are flowing from there. Now, briefly, before we dig into what are some of these actual regular rhythms that you can either maintain if you're already doing this in your homes or enact for the first time in your homes, is to talk about some of the dangers. We've alluded to some already, but some of the dangers, big red flags, pitfalls you want to avoid as you're having these conversations at home with your husband or also just as you're processing with the Lord as you're praying, what are things that would be helpful for me to look out for? And these are on the list because I've experienced them. I've experienced all five of these, and I'm experiencing all of them right now to varying degrees. So whether that's true about you or not, just be encouraged that other mothers are also um, needing to beware of these dangers because the enemy is real. He's the prince of the power of the air. He wants our children, and he knows he's lost, but he's doing everything he can to whisper, yell just enough lies to get our eyes off the king because when our eyes are off the king, um, we get into pits of discouragement, failure, and then it's a lot harder to be faithful and doing this really simple, small work that the Lord's asking of us. Five loaves and two fish, and look what's done. That's what he's asking, bringing our offering um, before the Lord and seeing what he's going to do. So one uh, pitfall, nostalgia. I, I know from talking with other moms that this can be a big one. It's a lot easier to think that things were better before oh, look at those five things we were doing five years ago. Why are we not doing those things anymore? Oh, that was such a sweet season. We need to, in order to be effectively discipling our children, carry every single awesome spiritual-related thing that we've ever done into every season, or we're failing. Um, this can really drive us to discouragement. And then we have this really unhealthy cycle of, I'm trying to do too much because I'm trying to carry these past rhythms into present seasons and they're not meant to remain. We know from scripture this beauty that there are different seasons for different realities. And so we still want to always be discipling our children, but the way that we do it the way that we bring the word to our kids, the way that we are worshiping, the way that we're praying might change over time. And we'll talk about some practical examples when we're getting into those um, regular rhythms. Another one is this idea of fruit assessment. What I mean by that, or expectations, what I mean by that is this attempt that mothers can make to measure the quality or quantity of our rhythms based on the fruit that we see, which is not what scripture is encouraging us toward. What do we know? We know that those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. We know that we are told to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because in the Lord, in Christ, our labor is not in 
vain. So much of the fruit of our labor is not going to be born in our lifetimes, and so much more is not going to be born even for generations. Now, depending on our heart posture again, that can seem really defeating. We're not going to see that now. Don't we need to see it to know we're doing okay? Or what the Lord means for it to be is encouraging because we don't need to spend time um, reviewing our work. You're not, you're not getting an, um, an employment review from the king. You have already been guaranteed the well done, my good and faithful servant review from the king. So it saves us time, energy, and most of, our, most of all, um, capacity in our souls to know I'm going to plant these seeds. I'm going to plant these seeds. I'm going to plant these seeds. I don't need to look back or try to figure out, ooh, I see maybe there's a little bit of a shoot or mm, I, I, I maybe put in like five gallons of water over this course of time. Maybe I need to add a little bit more. It's just plant those seeds and trust the Lord to do the rest. Um, next, the terminology of our hearts. I'm going to be really brief here. What we call the state of our homes, what we think about our husbands, what we call our husbands in our hearts, what we call our children in our hearts, really can shape the joy with which we're entering into these rhythms too. Um, versus, like, say, I'm surrounded by noise right now in this home. I could call it chaos. I could call my children chaos. Or I could call them what God calls them, a heritage, a blessing, arrows in the hand of a warrior. Same with my husband, a gift, a son of the king, my lead shepherd under Christ, one flesh with me. Um, instead of chaos, this is opportunity. This is joy. This is gift. This is the king's labor. And what about me? What about you? We're a holy people, a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Sometimes the terminology of our hearts can shape whether we're using rhythms as a way of escaping or checking things off the list or something else. It can calibrate our hearts. And sometimes checking the terminology before we're doing something with our kids can really help us enter those rhythms with a posture of joy and rest. Um, and then the last two briefly, not having enough time. Does family discipleship does require time together. So if you're looking at your schedule, your husband's schedule, your children's schedules, and you're thinking, when do we do family devos? The nature of that question might be a good, helpful prompt. Okay, we need to reassess what our commitments are if we're not having some rhythm of regular family time together. What your frequency is is up to you and your husbands as you're having a vision and praying over how you, what you want the Lord to do in your family. Some people have said, Every week, once a week, we're going to have family devos, or once a day, we're going to have family devos. That's really up to you, again, with the vision and enacting, but some regular amount of quality time together is so important. So what do you need to take out of your jar to make room and space for your family to be together? And then finally, envy is such a heart-crushing rhythm debilitating reality um, for our hearts and then practically how we're able to do things in our families with the time we've been given um, it is far too easy to look or hear about how another family is walking in certain rhythms and think well we don't do that we don't do that we don't do that what do we do instead Pray and ask the Lord, if you want me to add something like that into our daily, weekly family rhythms, give me grace to do that and help me to commend or thank you for how you're working in that particular family in those particular rhythms. But the reality is 
God is sovereign over your particular family, has given you your husband, and has given you your children to walk in the rhythms that are ultimately purposed to help you taste and see the Lord is good. It is an okay and right thing that different families are doing that differently. The goal is to find what is allowing you to joyfully, restfully disciple your children. All right, so we've talked about heart posture, dangers. Now let's get into these rhythms. And um, I'm going to focus on four here. And I have a song, if you're wondering, if you ever want to remember, oh, what are some natural family rhythms I can jump into? Here goes. Feast together, work together, play together, rest together. Feast together, work together, play together, rest together. Four rhythms that can kind of be your overarching context for your day and for your week as you're all pursuing Christ as a family. It's, it's helpful to think of rhythms, too, in the context of how God gave us natural rhythms, even from creation, right? There was a day for each particular thing that he deemed, this is good on this day, this is good on this day. And so being made in his image, too, we were made for rhythms. Again, they're not there for you to serve them. Rhythms are there to serve you. And... Um, they can help us to have a sense of what God loves and how he can operate in these unique contexts to help us see Christ together. So the first rhythm, the four rhythms, feast together, work together, play together, and rest together. The first rhythm is to feast together. And when I use the word feast together, I'm not talking about eating Though some of the feasting that I'm talking about does happen during mealtime. But I'm talking about these disciplines that are centered on the word, worship, and prayer. One of my favorite texts to linger on when we're talking about feasting together is from Acts 16. And that's when there was this Philippian jailer who um, hears the gospel from Paul and Silas. But here's what happens through a series of circumstances. It is the family found together. They hear the gospel together. They believe together, and they're baptized together. And they're rejoicing together after the fact and then laboring to serve Paul and Silas. And the biggest reality of why Acts 16 is so significant as we think about family discipleship rhythms is that the family was physically present together. The family's physical presence together is what allowed a reality like what we see in Acts 16 to transpire. So families who are hearing and rehearsing the gospel together can experience realities like what happened in that Philippian jailer's home. Charles Spurgeon um, says it like this, the value of the family and why there's this special tie, gospel and family, and hearing and walking in realities together. They have special claims upon us who gather around our table and our hearth. For God has not reversed the laws of nature, but he has sanctified them by rules of grace. So our feasting rhythm, seeing and savoring Jesus together, enables us to bring the word, worship, and prayer to our families. So some ways you can think about bringing word, worship, and prayer to our families. We'll talk about some examples here. Um, before those examples, what's helpful to think about as far as the practical rhythms, have high expectations of what the Lord can do with your time, but low expectations of what you can see and will see. So some ideas for the word. Um, we love to bookmark our days with word, worship, and prayer. So in the morning, breakfast and Bible time, everyone's gathered at the table to eat, read, whether you're going through a children's Bible or a psalm 
or a devotional that helps you to walk through a particular book of the Bible, something that allows you to get into the Bible together. Maybe depending on when your husbands have to leave for work, um, maybe that's possible. Or maybe because of school drop-offs, this isn't necessarily possible. Um, and that's okay. But getting some of that in the day, for us, it, we, we kind of have these bookmarks at the beginning and end of the day. Bible, sing, pray. That's it. Bible, sing, pray. You could do that in 10 minutes or less. You could do that in the van on the way to drop off. You could do that in the van on the way to mom's. Lots of different ways that you can get it in. It doesn't have to be this. Everyone is sitting at the table, eating, quietly listening to me read this amazing Bible story. Um, there could be talking maybe even sometimes at the table when you're reading. If you try to stop bringing the word every time that you have a child communicating, it's going to be really, really hard to feel like I'm faithfully bringing the word to my family. You might not, and it might not feel that way, but just because you don't feel it, it doesn't mean that um, the labor is not bearing fruit. Other um, ways to bring the word to the kids, we've done different things, again, over different seasons. Sometimes we just read through a chapter of the Bible aloud as part of cultivating scripture memory. And it's amazing how quickly children and adults, for that matter, can memorize just through the act of reading aloud the same chapter every morning or every evening or both or once a week, just reading it over and over and over again. Um, another uh, way to bring the word in is by merging word and worship. So the fighter verse songs are a great resource. I know there are multiple other resources like Seeds Family Worship or Kingdom Kids, Shane and Shane, lots of different tools that are available out there, not to burden you with too many options, but to help you know there are ways that you can merge scripture memory and song so you're worshiping while you're memorizing scripture at the same time. Another way to kind of store up the promises of God, who you are, who he is, what is sin, is by using a catechism. Lots of great catechisms out there. Memory is a really great tool for parents to use because kids can memorize a lot and they can memorize quickly to know the Bible well. Um, repetition, catechisms are, are, are really great. One of our favorites is Tim Keller's New City Catechism because it combines that question and answer and then a song. Um, so then you're getting a combination of things all in, all in one. And then as far as worship, besides what we've talked about al already, just have a posture of singing. We're commanded to sing. And as we've processed, why does the Lord command us to sing? So much of it is because he is fostering in us a gladness in him that he's saying, I'm, I'm going to help you do this. I'm going to help you see what I'm doing. And I'm going to communicate it to you as you are telling me who I am. I'm telling you who I am, and I'm singing it to you. And you're showing me through the act of worshiping who you are. Um, as far as fostering worship in the context of family devotions, we've done this different ways in our family. If you're looking for some creative ways, you could have a booklet where you have lyrics printed out for some of your family's favorite worship songs. Or if you have a hymnal, go through certain songs in the hymnal. Another way we've kind of allowed our kids to take ownership of picking worship songs is we've got this tin and then we've got the names of different worship songs written on the popsicle sticks and then different people are taking turns picking a stick out of the tin and then we're going to sing that song. If your kids play any musical instruments saying, hey, would you help lead us in worship? Will you play this and we can sing together? Um, lots of different ways knowing you have the Holy Spirit and the mind of Christ to be able to see and know your kids, know your own giftings, and know how you can foster a heart of worship for your family. And then as far as prayer goes, you know, there's the spontaneity we've talked about that we're not focusing on as much. Organizing some 
prayer time in the context of family devotions is really helpful. Some parameters to consider as you're wanting to model how you cry out to the Lord, how you confess sin, how you are engaging in thanksgiving, how you're engaging in praise, different ways. So there's the modeling, different ways to do that. And then also having certain structures that allow you to invite your kids to do that. Um, One example is having a prayer book, a family prayer book. So we have, it's very simple, one of those small little notebooks where each day, Sunday through Saturday, we have different people written in the book that through breakfast time, lunch, dinner, we're cycling through praying for these particular people or these particular unengaged people groups. And we're doing it together and inviting our kids to be the ones who are praying and um, sharing that burden with us and letting them stumble through with their sweet, genuine hearts um, to, to lay what they would love to see happen, what they would love to see the Lord do in those people, in those contexts, in, in our families. And then as far as confession and repentance and thinking, how do I help our kids to engage in that way in prayer? Um, we have something called good news party time. At the end of the day, as part of family devos, asking everyone, what was one of your favorite parts of the day? Um, What was a way that the Lord revealed some sin in your heart today? And then inviting them to pray, lay that before the Lord, and then just have an opportunity to receive encouragement from their siblings or from us. Walking in grace, it takes um, courage for our children to be able to identify what the Lord is revealing and then courage to express it ask for help, and then do it in front of others. So just giving them space to do that. And as we're quick to pray for our kids throughout the day, as you're quick to pray for your kids throughout the day, know that they're entering into that too. They're, they're seeing and they're hearing, and they will know how to enter into those situations too. And then the next category, the next rhythm, working together. So the goal for our families, right, as we desire for our kids to walk with Jesus, to love him with all of their heart and all of their soul and all of their mind and all of their strength, is to be able to see needs and fill them. So when they're not in our shepherding care anymore, we want them to be able to see that diaper fell. Let me serve that mom by picking it up. That cup of water spilled. Let me go get a rag and spill it up. So to be able, for, for them to be able to do that years and years from now, we need to be able to model and give them specific invitations to do things like that right now. So two categories of kind of laboring together that you can think of are the gospel labor and then the practical day-to-day labors at home. So as far as gospel labors, uh, one of my favorite verses to sit in regarding gospel labor is when Paul describes Timothy. He says, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. That's Philippians 2.22. Our kids have a part to play right now, at the ages they are right now, in whatever labor the Lord has for each of us, whether you're home or at the grocery store or at the park or at church, he has a role for them now. Sometimes that role might be sitting, watching, listening. That role could be diving into, prompting you, like, tell that Tell that man over there about Jesus. It could be any of those things. But the reality is we want to be able to speak words to our kids in a way that they know. They're not kind of just hanging off to the side, but they're here with us. They're arrows in our quiver. The quiver is attached behind us. So it's meant to be going where we are going. 
and ways that you can engage in some of those gospel labors requires knowing your kids' gifts, having time with them to be able to identify, wow, you, I think you have the spiritual gift of evangelism, or you really love to write to people. Why don't, why don't you think about who the Lord's put on your heart to write this card to? that can tell people about Jesus or share this verse that you learned in Sunday school. And as we are entering the older elementary years, all of us as moms, you might really be surprised to see how early on your kids are taking ownership because they're getting this message from mom and dad that you matter, your gifts matter, your personalities matter, and you have distinct eyes and ears from the king that are, that are going to catch and engage in ways that I didn't even think of. And then um, as we transition here to practical labors, that can be, for, that can be for me a harder thing. I've, I feel like Chad and I have gotten used to certain rhythms that are slowly changing now of doing things for our kids, just deferentially doing things for our kids, seeing a need and filling it. But we've had to pause in that rhythm that we didn't even realize we settled into by watching and waiting and either letting our kids jump in and help with siblings, giving them a specific invitation hey, this person needs a diaper change. Would you be willing to do that? Or would you take so-and-so to the bathroom? Or having really specific rhythms, say, related to chores, where everyone just knows I'm responsible for unloading and reloading the dishwasher in the morning. Or I'm responsible for sweeping after lunchtime. Or I'm responsible for feeding the dog. Trying to be, trying to be as organized as it serves your family. I've known and walked with a lot of moms who are served by, say, chore lists, or everything is written out and assigned, and known other moms who are just happy to ask their kids on the spot, hey, can you do this and can you do that? Or maybe your children are in seasons where they're already starting to do some of the seeing the needs and filling it. Again, knowing your family and then your own particular framework of whether being really organized to ex execute a particular rhythm serves you and your family or just doing it kind of spontaneously is great. But there is a way, whether they enter into it with grumbling or joy, that the consistency of being invited into doing that is really crucial. And then um, the third rhythm, playing together. When we are organized and inviting our kids to labor with us, we have more margin because we're feasting together and we're laboring together to have more time to spend time with our kids relationally through this gift of playing together because we're not doing everything for everyone but inviting them to labor alongside with us. And if you think about kids, especially the younger they are, they know and are known so much through playing. When you're putting Legos together or playing with magnetiles, that's when you get to see some of their personalities or their silliness or, wow, they created this really amazing structure and they're telling me that it reminds them of this thing at grandma and grandpa's house. I really love being at grandma and grandpa's house. I really love grandma and grandpa. And it sort of is this, um, train of conversation that's blossoming through physically sitting down, being eye level with our kids, swinging on the swings with them rather than pushing them, going down the slide with them rather than maybe always being the one to catch them when they get down, um, going for a run with them, riding bikes with them. The Lord's doing so much through our personalized investment, through pursuing and playing and it invites them into the heart of God to know like our God is a rejoicing exulting over with loud singing kind of God he's a God who loves us and laughs and you can talk about wow what do you think God's laugh is like when you're laughing together and how it's probably ferocious and gentle all at the same time there are just so many spontaneous things that happen 
through the particular rhythm of planned play. And then finally, resting together. Um, this is a way that you can mark the end of a week of whether your family is kind of apart during the day or together all, all day um, of every week of marking what Jesus has done for you and for me. He's given me this rest. I haven't entered into its fullness yet, but it's amazing. Let's rest together and make it really, really, really special because it's a foretaste of heaven and the specialness of heaven that's going to be literally every second of every day. So we call it family fun night or family Sabbath. And in our family, how we execute this is each family member for each Friday takes turns picking what they'd like to do. We've got a list of ideas of what they can choose from of an activity. We're going to spend time. It's our family. We're going to do this and we're going to honor our siblings choices or mom and dad's choices of what they've chosen. We'll do a special meal and a special drink or a special treat. Everything is special. That's the theme word. You're making it really, really, really special. And then setting it aside as a time to really weave Godward elements into your week, whether you're doing a puppet show or acting out a Bible story or going around and doing affirmations and inviting each family member to offer an affirmation to the person who chose the family fun night or family Sabbath for that week. And then just ever so briefly, because I know we're running out of time here, there's a place for special rhythms too. And every family has something really distinct that they love to do, whether you do special one-on-one -on -one times with each of your kids once a week. Um, that's something that we've really loved, especially in a big family context where we don't necessarily organically get as much one-on-one -on -one time with our kids, an opportunity to play and pray and ask, what's something you love that we do? What's something you would like us to change? And then they're actually helping to shape the family discipleship rhythms as well. Um, retreats, family retreats or vac vacations with a level of intentionality in your conversation or how you're plotting out your time together. Dates, another big category to consider, and I'd love to prayerfully process this with any of you sometime, is um, special family traditions centered on holidays or birthdays or just day-to-day -day life like feet washing or... Um, laying hands and praying over the person who picked the family fun night and doing that organically or having intentional times where you're doing that. Giving your kids the gift of a Bible, a kid's Bible maybe when you dedicate them, and then when they turn four or five, giving them a personalized Bible. Another idea that we've heard and haven't enacted is having journaling Bibles. That requires a little bit more capacity that you'd have to build margin into but um, someone who has a journaling Bible for each of their kids, and as they're engaging in morning devotions, writing notes and takeaways from those particular scriptures in the margins as a gift to be given to that child one day in the future. I thought that was a wonderful idea. All that to say, that's a lot to process through. Both the heart posture, the actual rhythms of feasting, working, playing, and resting. But I'm going to ask as we close in prayer here for you to close your eyes again, and I'm going to give you a different picture to end on, inspired by these verses. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall Come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. So now the picture. You're not going to forever be standing outside the gates of hell, giving invitations, laboring, planting those seeds, but inside the open gates of heaven. Your work is done. You've already heard the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. 
you've entered the fullness of rest of your master and you've brought your sheaves with you and you're maybe riding on the king's shoulders while he's holding all of your other children and you guys are frolicking through a grassy meadow filled with tulips of every color you could possibly fathom and more talking about all the amazing things the Lord did and praising him for them when you're looking at him face to face. That is going to be a really, really amazing day. Let's pray that the king keeps us and our children for that day that's coming so, so soon. Jesus, thank you for this moms, for these moms um, and this gift of the labor that you have given to us. Um, Help us to be Uh, sober-minded and watchful as we think about this, as we talk about it with our husbands, and as we pray for our children and pray for wisdom and knowing how to do this well. Um, We want to be faithful, and we know that you are the one who guards us by your peace. So keep us in perfect peace now. Keep our minds stayed on you because we trust you. We know we can't even do that apart from you, and you are merciful and kind to offer that to us. And thank you for all of these children. Jesus, we pray that they would be among the sheaves that are brought with us as we see you face to face. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ.